Hello and welcome to California Nation. I'm your host, Brian Anderson. In many states across the country, one issue is irritating millions of customers. It's the state's Motor Vehicles Department. California has become the epicenter of a problem with long wait lines as its DMV struggles to implement new laws and modernize technology. We invite you to call us at 916-326-5538 to share your experiences at the DMV, positive or negative. Your story may just appear on our next podcast. You can check our show notes for more details. Without further ado, enjoy the show. We are not going to have a circus here. I appreciate the president's tweet when he thanked me. Can you please hug me? (laughs) California's leaders are in open defiance of federal law. You know what, everybody? They never thought we could do it. So first, I want to apologize to our customers and our employees. And we're being totally abused. We need the audit to come to talk to us, to the inside people. There are many others like me who will tell you stories. Your head will stand on your head. Stories of elderly who are required after your age 70 to go into the DMV, who are standing in line for hours. For anybody out there who has no patience, I honestly think that you will gain your patience here today. What do you think it'll take to fix this problem? A bulldozer. Just plow them all over. Just get rid of all the DMVs and you don't have to go to them. (laughs) Fix the whole problem. For the last couple months, I've been reporting extensively on struggles at the California Department of Motor Vehicles. My reporting began back at the end of July after hearing talk of increased wait times. So I go into the Sacramento South location to experience the situation on the ground. I pull up in sweltering 98 degree heat and notice there's no parking spots. I loop around, park in a small shopping center, make my way down there and observe a line going out the door. There's no seats inside and tensions are high. No, but do you feel better? I feel great. This is where our story begins, with me interviewing frustrated customers, only to have other customers approach me, asking to tell their story. That was a first for me. There was a 92-year-old woman who was unable to take her renewal test by closing time after waiting in line since 10 a.m. There was Ben Kohler, who was celebrating his 28th birthday, scurrying at the last minute to get his license renewed before it expired the following morning. Now, there were countless others with stories to tell, all of whom had one thing in common. They were furious. It's at this office where I met Tyree Nichols, a 25-year-old Sacramento resident who had been waiting several hours by the time I arrived. Uh, I've been here since uh, 10 o'clock, well, 9.45, and the experience has been a very long wait. Uh, It's been very agonizing and very agitating waiting here and having everyone go in front of you, appointments, and you're here stuck. So that was my experience. It was a really bad one, actually. I haven't been here in five years, and this is probably the worst time ever. So we get to talking, and he tells me he's coming in for a real ID. California started issuing these new federally mandated cards on January 22nd. And starting October 1st, 2020, people will need a new real ID driver's license to board airplanes and enter other federal facilities without a passport. Now Nichols goes on to tell me he didn't make an appointment,
but it's midway through our conversation when things take an interesting turn. But no, they have you wait five hours just for a couple of minute things, and it's not fair. Did you try and look online for anything before coming here? I looked online to get the requirements of what I needed and then looked at the wait times and those said that they were going to be bad, so I prepared myself, but I didn't know it was going to be this bad. So we published the story July 30th on the Sacramento Bee's website and it generates a lot of attention. Lawmakers getting ready to return to the Capitol in August say this will be a top issue that will immediately be addressed. The legislature then schedules a pair of hearings one to evaluate the DMV's budget requests and another to determine whether the department should be audited by State Auditor Elaine Howell. At the first budget meeting, many issues were addressed. Up to this point, the DMV largely blamed Real ID for the rising wait times. But that was only a piece of the puzzle. It became quickly clear that the DMV had larger issues. Here's DMV Director Gene Shiamoto. Thank you for the opportunity to address the committees on DMV's wait times. As a director of the department, I want to apologize for our customers. The wait times you're experiencing are not what we ever want our customers to go through. We are actively working to resolve the issues for our offices statewide. Assemblywoman Catherine Baker shared a story later on. Thank you. A another area is, and I'm really concerned about folks because there's still going to be long lines that we hear. Um, I've repeated st stories of elderly who are required after your age 70 to go into the DMV who are standing in line for hours. One of them is from a woman who fell. She fainted while she was waiting in line. And she was told by the staff that if she were to leave, emergency crews came, if she were to leave to be treated, she'd have to come back to the DMV another day. And so she insisted that the emergency personnel treat her there so she could stay in line. The following morning was the day everyone was watching for. A Republican assemblyman from Fresno named Jim Patterson would present an audit request. With the help of three Democratic state senators who refused to vote, Patterson's request was effectively killed. Here's Jim Patterson at a news conference after the vote was called. You just saw three members of the California Senate take their marching orders from Governor Brown, and they together have now sentenced millions of Californians to long wait lines for as far out as the eye can see. The day after the vote, I talked to Senator Ben Allen and asked him to explain why he did not vote for the audit. It's here where he makes a startling revelation. He tells me his vote was at Jerry Brown's urging. After refusing to vote on Patterson's proposal, Brown called him to say his office would personally make the DMV a top priority. Brown's words sealed the deal for Allen. I got a phone call from the governor himself this morning and I got to tell you, you know, expressing his full commitment to addressing these issues, I take a governor's call and a governor's personal commitment to addressing the issues over a seven-month audit that's going to tell us exactly what we already know. Patterson was upset. This was utterly a rank political move, and quite frankly, those responsible ought to be ashamed. Allen's response? I say that the governor has a lot more power over fixing this problem than Jim Patterson in his seven-month audit. Uh, if anyone's playing politics here, it's my colleague Jim. I'm a good guy, but, uh, but at the end of the day, I'll take a, a governor's personal commitment to solving this problem over a seven-month audit that was going to tell us exactly what we already know uh, any day. I mean, the, the, way, I mean the, the, the issue here is not wrapping people's knuckles. The issue is getting the issues fixed. Now, that would normally be the end of the story. The audit failed, and lawmakers move on to the next issue. But our reporting didn't stop. 
Over the next month, I wrote about ongoing issues with technology. And to me, it just keeps on, they keep on running away from the problem instead of addressing, okay, our issue is our 40-year-old database management system. That's Colin Grant, a DMV office manager in Los Angeles. In addition to aging infrastructure, a colleague and I reported on a secret DMV office located near the Capitol for lawmakers and their staff. In the coming weeks, I also learned of 23,000 voter registration errors. The straw that broke the camel's back? A system outage halting operations at 68 DMV field offices. It was then when Brown directed his administration to have the Department of Finance conduct a performance audit. Now that audit is now underway, but weeks later, it looks like issues at the DMV persist. Most recently, the DMV reported 1,500 additional registration errors, including some people who are believed to be non-citizens. California Secretary of State Alex Padilla told reporters at a news conference this week that he scrubbed those 1,500 people off the voter rolls. He also had a few choice words for the DMV and urged them to hire an independent third party to conduct an audit into the DMV's technology as it relates to the motor voter program. You know, my concern is it risks jeopardizing confidence in uh, the electoral process, which is why yesterday I called for an independent uh, audit or review of the DMV's technology and their practices because they've demonstrated that they're not capable of handling it themselves and the stakes are too high as we approach the voter registration deadline and the November election uh, to have any more mistakes like this. California launched the motor voter program on April 23rd, which automatically registers and pre-registers eligible voters when they go to a DMV office. This occurs when customers come to the DMV to complete a driver's license, state ID, or address change transaction. There's some bright news for the DMV though. It's reported a steady drop in wait times, but ongoing concerns remain about technology, real ID, and DMV management. Last week, the DMV said it expects 23.5 million customers to come in for a real ID over the next couple years. The problem, only 1.5 million real IDs have been issued since January. We're, so you're looking at, you know, uh, so some of 25 million people we have to get these things out to, uh, you know, in less than two years, and we're at 1.5 million. I, I did talk to my counterpart, uh, some of my counterparts, and... Uh, my, my staff said that those are McDonald's numbers, but you don't need a birth certificate to buy a hamburger. So how, how do we... You know, this, is an you know, this is enormous. We'll be right back. Our California Nation podcast is based in the Sacramento Bee's Capitol Bureau. As we get rolling with the Bee's first ever podcast, we are urging listeners to subscribe to the Sacramento Bee. You can buy a digital subscription, or if you're like me and prefer the tangible feel of a newspaper, you can go with print. Better yet, get both. Just go to sacbee.com to start your subscription for more information. Tell them Brian sent you. This month, we're rewarding new and existing subscribers with opportunities to win some cool prizes. If you subscribe and go to the Sacramento Bee Rewards page online, you can enter the code NATION for a chance to win some cool prizes. We've got gift cards, electronics, movie tickets, concert tickets, and much more. Again, just go to the online rewards page of your account and type in the code NATION. That's N-A-T-I-O-N. Okay, we're back. California could easily sway the direction of the United States House of Representatives. The midterms are approaching and a race has ensued in one Republican-leaning district stretching across Northern California. 
It's typical of what's going on throughout the country, Democrats looking to defy the odds to unseat GOP incumbents. Earlier this week, we sat down with two candidates competing fiercely for the seat on House District 4, Republican incumbent Tom McClintock and Democratic challenger Jessica Morse. McClintock is the clear favorite, but with weeks to go before Election Day, the race is growing more heated. Congressman McClintock, thanks for coming on the show. It's great to have you. Pleasure, Ryan. Thank you for having me. So that was a little bit of a testy exchange earlier this morning, but I want to go into uh, sort of issues that will be affecting voters and what's on their minds. What do you see as the biggest issue for people in your district? You know, I, I, I think most of all, this election across the country, as well as in this district, comes down to which direction do you want to see our country take? Uh, you can see in Washington, we have dramatically reduced tax burden, uh, about $1,900 for an average family in this district, according to the House Ways and Means Committee. Of, uh, we have dramatically reduced the regulatory burdens on the uh, country's economy. Um, and we are seeing uh, one of the most remarkable economic span expansions in our nation's history. Economic growth uh, uh, last quarter was 4.2%. Uh, it looks like we're going to average about twice this year what we saw under the Obama administration. So the biggest issue for people in your district well, is? the economy. The economy. But, but, but also the direction that we want to take. And they can also see what's going on in Sacramento right now. Massive tax increases, more and more regulatory burdens placed on the economy. Of, uh, and the direction is, which way do you want to go? The Democrats in Sacramento have been very, very clear. More taxes, heavier regulations. The Republicans in Washington have been very clear. L lower taxes, less regulations. That's an important choice. Uh, and I, th I think also right up there at the top uh, is the question of illegal immigration. In Washington, we are securing our borders. We are moving forward with construction of the border wall. Uh, there uh, will be restoring. wall funding in the next budget, uh, well, you think? We're, we're all, don't, don't forget, the border wall was actually authorized back in 1996. It just hasn't been fully funded. funded, and you're correct. We have not been able to fully fund it yet, but we, do have, uh, we are making progress on construction. Meanwhile, of course, in Sacramento, you have the sanctuary laws that are releasing dangerous criminals back into our communities uh, when federal law requires they be turned over to uh, immigration to uh, be deported out of our country. So just quick rattling it off, what would you say is your biggest area of agreement and biggest area of disagreement with the president? Because I was looking through 538's pollster ratings, mm -hmm. or I should say the Trump score ratings, mm -hmm. and you have a score around the low 80s as far as agreeing with Trump. And I was looking that up, and that's the lowest score of any Republican congressman from California. Would you consider yourself a moderate? What, what do you think you most agree no, and disagree I, I, with the I'm, president I'm on? an independent thinker, okay. but uh, on the major issues that we're making progress on, on the economy, uh, uh, on securing our borders, uh, I strongly support what the president is doing. I strongly supported the president during the election, and I will continue to do so. So immigration but where, is the biggest agreement? But where we, Im immigration and, and uh, the economy. Uh, and and again, disagreement. And the biggest disagreement, tariffs. Um, uh, you know, tariffs have produce consistent results whenever they're applied. They harm the economy of any country that employs them. Uh, they, they turn abundance into scarcity. They make ma raw materials uh, uh, scarcer, which never helps producers. And they make prices higher, which never helps consumers. And don't forget, every producer is a consumer. Never, no producer has ever uh, been uh, helped by scarcer uh, uh, materials. Uh, no consumer's ever been helped by higher prices. And yet, that's what tariffs produce. Now, I will say, in the defense of the administration, Larry Kudlow and Peter Navarro uh, met with a group of us 
recently and said that their top priority uh, is zero tariffs, zero non-tariff barriers, and zero subsidies, the very definition of free trade. How they're getting there by, <laughs> by threatening and imposing tariffs, I don't quite understand. But we do have some really significant um, uh, advances toward free trade as a result of these tactics. We just saw the, uh, the negotiations for the uh, U.S.-Mexico-Canada uh, trade agreement, uh, which is will replace NAFTA. Uh, I think it marginally moves us toward uh, freer trade, and don't forget the European Union has now entered negotiations with the United States um, uh, moving toward freer trade. So I, I disagree with the tactics. Uh, I, I, I don't believe in threatening to harm yourself is, is, is somehow going to induce the other side to make concessions, but it seems to be working. And I just had a couple more. I was curious just some of the major takeaways I'm going to be kind of asking a big area of concern I think for uh, your opponent Jessica Morse is the ballot designation uh, and for you I've heard a lot of criticism about your views on on climate science and the extent to which uh, human activity is contributing to global temperatures I remember at the last debate you said quote that was hotly debated can you just sort of elaborate on what you mean by hotly debated consent uh, look Science is not democracy. Science is a constant challenging of, um, of, of consensus. You know, when somebody says the debate's over, that's not a scientist talking. Science welcomes debate. Science welcomes questions. Science depends upon the ability to replicate uh, the, uh, the conclusions uh, made in any scientific theory. Um, when somebody tells you you're not allowed to debate this, that the, 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 that the science is settled, that's not a scientist talking to you. That's a politician and probably a very authoritarian one at that. And just final one, this was a major sticking point for me from your conversation with, uh, with Ms. Morse earlier, was with regard to Kavanaugh mm -hmm. uh, and the Supreme Court hearing. He was just confirmed. And you said that you don't know if, uh, if Christine Blasey Ford perjured herself or not. There's conversations right now among families, how do you talk to your kid about this issue, whether it's a son or a daughter? How would you go about explaining this time we're in to a child? And, and who, who, who are you more nervous I'm for? Are you more sure, nervous for I'm men not sure or women? I, I'm not sure I can explain it to a grown-up, let alone a child. <laughs> um, our civilization is formed on certain bedrock principles of justice. One of the most basic is that you cannot make an accusation against someone, particularly a vile, grotesque accusation like those that were hurled at Brett Kavanaugh without any evidence. That's called slander, it's called libel, it's called defamation, um, uh, and that is what happened in these hearings. A and uh, I think that the Senate Democrats made a mockery of the confirmation process. Worse than that, uh, they attacked these bedrock foundational principles of justice. There was uh, absolutely no corroborative evidence to any of the accusations made against Brett Kavanaugh, and yet they were made anyway. That is something that we need to question as a society, because I, for one, don't want to live in a society where uh, accusation is the same as verdict. Are you more nervous for men or young women? Both. Uh, every person living in such a society is subject to uh, that jeopardy. If a simple accusation uh, can uh, uh, be accepted without any any corroborative evidence. Congressman, I appreciate you taking the time. Thanks for coming it's in. My it's my pleasure, Ryan. You. Thank you very much. Thanks Take for care. having me.
Welcome back to California Nation. We're here with the Democratic challenger for U.S. House District 4, Jessica Morse. Jessica, thanks for coming on the show. Great to be here. Going to the issues, uh, there was one that came up on Proposition 6 for the gas tax, and I know you mentioned that you support federal investment in infrastructure. Can you explain, it sounds like you're, leave it up to the voters to decide Prop 6 and you have a neutral stance. Is that a fair characterization of your Yeah, well, what thoughts? I really focus on is, is what I can impact. And what I can impact in Congress is to ensure that we get the infrastructure resources we need to keep our communities safe, to make it, be making that investment um, in our communities. Congress hasn't passed a federal infrastructure bill for the last decade. As we saw Highway 50 collapse last year. People get stuck every single day at the 6580 interchange. Our roads are, are riddled with potholes because we're not making that steady investment to maintain and improve our infrastructure. And that's something that I can do in Congress. But Prop 6 is something that you can vote on right now as an everyday Californian. Yes, I will vote on it with all of the California individuals, um, but I'm running for Congress and what I, what I can do in Congress is bring us infrastructure funding. And this is just more of a campaign strategy insidery question, but I haven't heard a single name mention of Trump in the debate or earlier today. Is that an intentional thing to leave Trump out of this? Well, I think what we're trying to do here is change the political culture. Often politics becomes hyper-partisan. It becomes um, drawn around people sort of rally around personalities and parties as if they're sports teams. And we need to actually start focusing on the real issues that the real people in our community face. That's why I actually started my campaign with a listening tour of the district. Spent three months on the road, went to all 10 uh, counties, met with Cal Fire chiefs and, and local mayors and hospital boards and school boards. and and met with our community. And so I'm not wanting people to focus on what we're seeing on cable news. I want us to focus on front yard issues that I can actually impact, whether that's our healthcare, our local jobs, investing in vocational training, and improving our environment so that we can have our land sustain, we can be sustained by this land that sustains us. If you were to win, what would be the biggest area of agreement you think you could have with the president? Oh, absolutely, on um, vocational training. I mean, he proposed five million, I, I think five million apprenticeships, something along those lines, and I would love to flesh that out and have that be a reality. The other area, um, he talked a lot about infrastructure in his um, inaugural address, and I would love to work with him on bringing real infrastructure resources back to our community so we can be safe. What would you say is the biggest issue facing the people in your wide, expansive, humongous district? Yeah, it's healthcare, jobs, and safety you know, safety from wildfires. Um, so we are one of the most wildfire-prone regions in California. Right by the sequoias. Yes, exactly. We've got Yosemite and Lake Tahoe. It's a gorgeous part of our district. And yet people are evacuating from wildfires. Um, it's impacting our health with all the smoke and increasing, um, you know, you're seeing the price of fire insurance increase and price people sometimes out of their homes. And when Yosemite shut down from the Ferguson fire last year, we saw, or just a few months ago, um, we saw all of these businesses shut down. The economic impact exactly. of fire. Exactly, it's huge. Yes, mm -hmm. and I asked uh, Congressman McClintock about uh, his views on climate science, hitting a point that people will uh, argue with, and one of the concerns I've heard most um, for, about you specifically is accusations of inflating your military record, and I heard you respond to those uh, and just wanted you to kind of explain the ballot designation controversy and clarify that for our listeners. Sure. Um, California's uh, law 
asks that, I, you know, I would love to have my career, my 10-year career, reflected on the ballot. Um, I spent 10 years in national security with USAID. I was on the ground in Iraq for a year and a half. I was at the State Department working on the federal foreign aid budget for Iraq. I studied at Princeton nuclear nonproliferation and then went to U.S. Pacific Command. That's a long ballot title. I don't yes, think exactly, on that. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, so California asks that your, you know, the law is that what you've been doing for the last 12 months for the majority of your time should be reflected on your ballot. And the reality is that since January of 2017, I have been traveling around our community, listening to voters and, and hearing the real stories of the real people in our community, because what we're trying to do is change this political culture so that it's not about partisan games, but it's about substantive responses and results. And to be able to do that, I needed to listen. And so for the last two years, I've been listening to people in our community. I've been out advocating for them, giving us a voice. And and so what I asked on my ballot uh, for the general- National security consultant? No, what I asked- for the, for the general, it shifted to candidate for Congress. But why press for national security consultant multiple times? Um, I'm, I've been doing some consulting jobs uh, based on some work that I had. I had uncovered a human trafficking ring when I was in Iraq. And so I have been doing some consulting uh, with uh, different organizations working to try to protect people around the globe as part of my job. And But when we looked at uh, reflecting on the ballot what I'm spending the majority of my time doing, which is campaigning uh, for our community to have a better voice and to have real representation. And so that's what I uh, called the Secretary of State and asked for that, and that's what we got. And final one, just speaking to the times that we're in uh, with regard to Brett Kavanaugh's confirmation, that seemed to be a major difference between you and the congressman. Uh, and I asked him whether he feels it's a more dangerous time for men or women in this country, and he said it's a dangerous time for everybody right now. And I'm curious how you would explain this moment that we're in to a young kid, and do you, do you think it's a more dangerous time for men or women in this country right now? Yeah, I think the real danger in the country right now that we're seeing is the hyper-partisanship on every level. Um, let me kind of address both of these issues uh, because there's also a huge issue around uh, women's safety and, and sexual assault survivors that we saw surface. Um, the hyper-partisanship where a Supreme Court nomination process became a partisan game um, is, is deeply disturbing to all of us. Uh, because and what we are trying to do is change this political culture that defines winning as the other party losing. And Congressman McClintock, uh, is, that's how he defines things. And and we need to start making sure that that we are advocating for what's best for our country, what's best for our constitution, what's best for our democracy. And what I saw play out over the last few weeks is not uh, reflective of the standards of America that our founding fathers laid out. What we also saw revealed was um, a deeply distressing um, position on women survivors. You know, Congressman McClintock came out and said that Dr. Ford's testimony was, was crazy talk. And he, he said if she had really been assaulted 30 years ago, she would have come forward 30 years ago. One in three women will experience a sexual assault in their lifetime, and 60% of those assaults go unreported. So when a woman doesn't report a life-altering crime, the question isn't, what's wrong with the woman? The question is, what is wrong with our system? 
And so what I'm going to do in Congress is ensure that we change this, that we have that we remove the statute of limitation on sexual assault, that we institute universal rape kit testing so we can apprehend serial rapists, and that we bring in a culture of education on consent so that we address this rape culture at its core. Because I don't want future generations to have to experience this. Ms. Morris, I appreciate you taking the time. Thanks for coming. Thank in. you. And we'll be right back on California Nation. We're back here on California Nation, and it's time for our favorite part of the show, Buzz of the Week, where I give you a headline that I can't get off my mind and invite listeners like you to do the same. So if you've got something you'd like to share on the show, call me at 916-326-5538. You can also check the show notes for more details. So this week, I can't stop thinking about John Cox. He's the Republican running for governor. Now on Monday, he joined Democrat Gavin Newsom for a radio debate. And John Cox had a message he was sticking to. It's a little subtle, but see if you can catch it. Well, my vision of uh, California is where people can afford to buy a house or, or pay rent that's affordable. Uh, they, they can afford gasoline. They can afford water, electricity. We need to make sure that California leads the way on education, on affordability. I have a vision of this state being affordable, affordable and livable for, for people. people. So they can't afford to live here. People can't afford, afford to, to live, live in this state, state, and they're moving out. You might have heard affordability buried in there a couple times. In fact, he used the words afford and affordable 13 times in the 58-minute debate. Now, there were several highlights from the debate, but two in particular stand out to me. Listen to him here pivoting away from the issue of gun violence. We're talking about guns. We're talking about all these other uh, social issues that I'm not running to change one iota. I am not. I am running to make sure that people in this state have an affordable life, they have schools that are not failing, they have available water, affordable water, affordable electricity. All these other things are being done to occupy time and, uh, you know, really uh, not address the issues that we ought to be addressing, and that is the cost of living in the state and the horrendous conditions of people that are struggling and, and trying to get by. One more prominent example was when he shifted from gay rights in a matter of seconds to talk about, oh, I think you can guess it. In, as, as recently as uh, 2003 and 2004, Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton were both against gay marriage. So, you know, I've evolved on, on those issues, uh, and, uh, and I think they are not going to be germane to this. I think the important issues in this race are the affordability for people in this state, the ability to live a productive life and afford gasoline and water and electricity. And it wouldn't be a debate if you didn't hammer home your message and your closing remarks. I will make this state affordable and livable again. And when the debate ended, you might guess Cox would have wanted to talk to reporters about affordability. But your guess would be wrong. Mr. Newsom's been there for 16 years and hasn't done a thing. That's all this language about plans. He hasn't done. Uh, no, Mr. Cox, you talked about building housing in California. Can we... Uh, sorry. Wait, I'm, 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 yeah, I know, I know. Okay. Sorry. 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 Can you take a couple of questions? On behalf of all of us here at the Sacramento Bee Capital Bureau, thanks for listening to California Nation. We'll be back in your feed with a new episode in a couple weeks. Until next time, I'm Brian Anderson. like a
fun question. What is uh, your, your favorite, favorite what? Yeah. Okay, I can change it up. Tell me a story. Tell me a story. Any story you want. A political story or anything. Just something where I can test the audio. Well, uh, um, let's see. Stories. Well, I'm not a good storyteller, I'm afraid. Uh, favorite sports team? Why? Oh, well, now you're going to get my views on sports. And it's pretty simple. If it involves a ball going back and forth, it bores me to tears. If, if I was a cat, I would have absolutely nothing to do with my time whatsoever. <laughs> okay, I think we're good.